Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. I just want to encourage you right now, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. That's uh, where we have made it to. We're actually going to be starting in verse 12 of uh, Philippians chapter 2. We've been navigating through uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi uh, for the last several weeks, for the last month, and uh, we're going to continue that through the end of uh, December as well. And uh, one of the things I just want to remind you of and encourage you with is if you haven't taken on our uh, Philippians reading challenge, I want you to be sure and do that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. Um, All this is is uh, the challenge for you to read through the letter uh, of Philippians uh, every week for the month of December. It's been for the whole of this series, and so we just want to encourage you to be reading consistently uh, the book of Philippians. If you really want to step it up a little bit, uh, try to set a goal to read it every day. And it's four chapters. Most people can read it in uh, 30 minutes or less. And so take 30 minutes of your day, read through Philippians, and then spend some time in prayer and see what the Lord does in your life as you continue to uh, study and immerse yourself into God's Word. So as we... Uh, As we jump into this, I just want to pause a minute. I want to pray for our time, and then uh, we're going to jump right into the text this morning. Father, thank you for your grace and your faithfulness. Thank you for the hope that you've given us in Jesus. And this morning, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes to see clearly what you have called us to in your word. God, that you would not just help us to hear this, but that you would help us to live it out, to do what it says. Father, we trust that your word is, a, is powerful and is able to transform lives, uh, bring pe- bringing people to a knowledge of you and a knowledge of what has been done for us in Christ. And so, Lord, um, may that motivate our worship, may that motivate uh, our pursuit of uh, what you have called us to as your people. I pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, and uh, in verse 14, this may be one of the uh, most consistently heard scripture passages for me personally growing up. In fact, uh, as, uh, as a kid, uh, when my mom specifically would give us a job to do, uh, we, we would uh, oftentimes, as many kids do, we'd roll our eyes or we would complain or kind of whine about it. I don't want to do this. And we would hear pretty quickly after that, my mom faithfully uh, quote Philippians two fourteen: do all things, do everything without grumbling or complaining, or as the ESV says, grumbling or disputing. Uh, the reality is every one of us can identify at some point in our lives where we've wrestled with this concept of uh, grumbling or complaining or disputing. Uh, this is not a foreign concept to us. 
And I was curious when I first started prepping for this message, uh, what would be the most complained about entities uh, today? And I came across the survey online, and interestingly enough, they actually said that the average person complains uh, on average three times a day, and I thought that was really nice. I, I thought, we probably complain way more than just three times a day. Uh, but then it listed these top kind of ten things people complain about, so I, I just want to share those with you. Number one was bad customer service. Number two was telemarketers and robocallers. Number three was people who cut in line. Number four was feeling cold. And Saturday night when I read this to my wife, I looked at her kind of like, this is you. Because it could be middle of summer and she's walking around with a blanket on. She's always cold. So we had a good laugh about that. Number five, packages or letters that don't show up on time. Number six, traffic. I'm really thankful to live in Fulton County, Illinois, where we really don't have to deal with that a whole lot. Even though I lived in Chicago for four years during school, it's still traffic drives me nuts, so I understand that one. Number seven, trouble connecting to Wi-Fi. This is completely 100% a modern-day complaint. Guaranteed, there was not an issue at the church of Philippi with them complaining about the Wi-Fi signal. Number eight, litter and people who litter. Number nine, the weather. Number 10, feeling too hot. So middle, you have feeling too cold. Now people are too hot. We're just not content. A few more that missed kind of the top 10 were loud neighbors, people being late, no parking spaces, people who stare at their phones, spam emails, a bad phone signal, and feeling hungry. Now the reality is, you and I could spend a lot of extra time just even talking through or spending time mentioning uh, all the other things that we tend to complain about or that drive us nuts, pet peeves that uh, make us uh, just go irate. And uh, that, that would serve no purpose other than to maybe understand a little more about each other. But here's the question that I want you to really wrestle with as we think about these truths and these realities. How does your attitude influence your joy? And what does your current attitude say about where your joy is found? How does our attitude influence our joy? And what does your current attitude reveal about where your joy is found? And through this series in Philippians, our main series idea has been fullness of joy is found in glorifying God. That ultimately, at the end of the day, the fullness of our joy is rooted in doing what God has called us to do in Christ. And we're going to unpack even more. Why is it that that is the root of joy, lasting joy, full joy in our lives? I'm going to start in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read a couple verses, then we're going to talk about it, and we'll move on in through the text that way. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Now, something interesting to note here is that uh, this idea of obedience wasn't a new concept. In fact, it was already a part of the culture at the Church of Philippi. And that's why Paul can say, um, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's alluding to and reminding them of a characteristic of their culture as a church that had been true when he was there. And now he's saying, don't let that stop, but actually have that continue, have it be ongoing. Now, I'll never forget as a kid, uh, it was common, and I'm sure many of you can relate to this as well, uh, when parents weren't around or you were in a different room and you might be getting into something or say they're gone and you're home, maybe maybe with your siblings and uh, you would start start doing something you know you probably shouldn't be doing, but you're doing it anyway, and then you hear the garage door open on the side of the house and all of a sudden you go, oh no, we got to clean up, we got to get, why is that? Well... It's because we are really good oftentimes at being who we need to be with who we're with. And so even from a young age, we have this ability to recognize what I'm doing is not what I should be doing. And and when the authority figure is present, then I'm going to live in it. Then I'm going to do it. Um, But when they're gone, maybe I'm not. And the reality of this is, as, as the church, we struggle with this. In fact, for a lot of years in Western Christianity, a church becomes easily a place where we show up and we put on the, the church face and we become obedient to a level of what we've defined as church culture. But then throughout the week, as we navigate our lives and we navigate our jobs and we navigate our friendships, that becomes not so present. There, there becomes a lack of consistency in how we live and who we are as followers of Jesus. And so it's understandable that Paul is saying, don't, don't just be a culture of people that are obedient when I'm there. Be a culture of people who are walking in obedience even more so now that I'm not there. And understanding contextually, Paul's in prison, writing this letter to them from prison. And so this emphasis, this is a really good part of your culture. Don't let this be something that fades away. Uh, in thinking about obedience, there was a story I came across this last week uh, that talked about a missionary uh, serving in a village, seeking to understand the language of the people. And I'm unsure exactly which missionary this was as I read the story. Um, but he was, he was striving as best he could to figure out a way to talk to this people in their native language about obedience. And he, he couldn't really figure out the exact terminology or words to use um, But one day he was walking through the village and he whistled for his dog to come to him. The dog came and one of the village uh, people in their native language uh, said something along the lines of, wow, your dog is all ears. And in that moment, the missionary knew this is how I need to communicate this idea of obedience. In fact, that terminology, just even in modern day, we often use. Uh, someone will ask if we're listening or if we, if we want to hear, uh, uh, hear a story or something, and we might say, uh, I'm all ears, and it implies I'm listening, I'm intently, I'm, I'm leaning in, and I'm taking in what you're saying to me. Um, the book of James challenges us as followers of Christ in the same way, where it says, don't merely 
be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so this concept throughout Scripture is uh, the calling on followers of Christ to walk and live in obedience to God's will. And this is where Paul's instruction, where he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, to be honest, this is a portion of this text that a lot of people wrestle with because they go, well, wait a minute, work out my own salvation. Does that mean I work for my salvation? Does that mean I somehow need to earn uh, the salvation from God? I need to work as best I can in order to step into eternity. And in fact, this is very common when, when I sit with people and I ask them about their assurance in, in Christ or if they know where they're going to be when they die. There's many people whose response is, well, I've been a good person, or I've tried really hard to make the right choices. And while that's really fine and good, the reality is Scripture says we're all sinners and we're all separated from God. And this is exactly why Ephesians 2 reminds us, in verses 8 and 9, that you are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one would boast. It's, it's a gift. Well, the letter in Ephesians is written by Paul too. So if, if it says there it's not by works, but he says work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. One, either Paul's contradicting himself or two, he's implying something else. And the question becomes, who is the one who's supposed to do the work, God or me? And the answer is yes. And if you're listening to this, I want you to just say with me, yes, okay? The, the reality is... The work God does is eternal. The work we are called to is internal. To put that more specifically, God has done a saving work in Christ that is available to all people. And it's done. When Jesus hung on the cross right before he breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. Death is defeated. And scripture says if you believe that there is salvation in Christ and in Christ alone, you will be saved. It's not anything you can earn. You will never be able to earn or deserve what God has offered in Christ. Ever. That being said, from the moment that we choose to follow after Jesus, the goal becomes... Being more and more like Jesus. Not simply rooting into uh, who we already are. Not simply remaining who we are. But being transformed by the Spirit of God day after day to pursue a life that of sanctification. Of being more and more set apart for God's purposes. And this is exactly what Paul means when he says in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That is for His glory. And in fact, the second portion of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we, we often leave out verses 10, verse 10, where it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you make the decision to follow after Jesus, the work is just beginning. 
And it is not to be something where we check a box and then walk away. It is to be a daily. I get up in the morning and I remind myself of the hope I've been given in Christ. And then I strive to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. In every circle that I have opportunity to do that. Verse 14 through 16. Let's read that together. Philippians 2 says, do all things. I'll read that again. Do all things. If you're listening to this, say all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ. I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Joy is attitude more than action, everyone. And in fact, here is this simple truth. God's concern throughout Scripture is way more with personal attitude than it is with physical aptitude. Aptitude simply being a big word for uh, ability to do a task. The amazing thing about the kingdom of God is God will use whoever he chooses to bring glory to himself. And in fact, when we look through the whole counsel of God's word, God most commonly uses the most unlikely of people to bring glory to himself. Why? Because everyone else is looking at that person and going, there's no way. There's no way. I could share with you so many stories of people right within our own church family who if you saw their lives 5, 10, 15, 30 years ago, you would go, man, there's no way in their stories, in the way they're living their life, that they could be used for the glory of God. And right now in this day and age, God has used them and is using them powerfully for his purposes. Why? Because God transforms people. In Christ, God has given us a joy and a hope that cannot be found anywhere else. And the reality becomes, I could do a lot of things for the wrong reasons. I can have the ability to do a lot of things really well and my attitude completely contradicts what I'm doing. You can serve in ministry. And do a fantastic job and have a really horrible attitude about it. And you're completely missing the point. God's concern becomes internally, what is the attitude of your heart, of your whole being? And goodness, you could step into things that are uncomfortable for you and are out of your comfort zone. And you do it out of a joy and a love for what God has given you in Christ. And you have recognized what is most important. Now, the other thing in this, specifically verse 14, we often pull this out of context and throw it at whatever we want. Now, don't get me wrong. There's something to be said about uh, encouraging people to just generally not have an attitude of complaining or disputing or arguing. That's a good thing. And encourage that. Continue to encourage that. But 
be cautious about just pulling scripture out of context because oftentimes we miss the broader meaning of what the text is actually communicating. And verse 14 falls in the midst of a lot of other theological contexts that Paul is writing. And specifically, when we look at verses 12 through 13, and this emphasis that you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You're to recognize that it's God who works in you for His glory. That is, everything you do for the name of Jesus cannot be done the way it's supposed to be done apart from God. You can try all you want, but apart from God in you, you will not have the lasting impact in the world that you are called to. And as you are doing that, as you are striving to become more like Jesus, as you are living in light of the truth, as you are seeking to walk more and more in obedience to the will of God, not the will of self, you're to do those things without grumbling or disputing. That means as I care for the widow and the orphan, I'm to do so with joy, not with grumbling or disputing. As I make disciples and come alongside messy people, I'm to do so with joy, not with grumbling or complaining. As I endure suffering for the sake of the gospel, I'm to do so with joy, not with complaining or disputing. As I consider the pointless worth of earthly possessions, I'm to do so with joy, not grumbling or disputing. Why? Because of recognizing what I have been given in Christ. So why is the church at Philippi encouraged to live this way? For one, in verse 15, Paul says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And then he says this in verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Does our attitude reveal that we shine as lights in a dark world? I fear that oftentimes, church, that's not the case. And in fact, oftentimes we are guilty of contributing even more so to an attitude of complaining and discouragement rather than rooting into a mindset of joy ultimately that is focused in on what could never be taken away from us. A joy that surpasses any earthly freedom or earthly entity or earthly relationship that we've been given. A joy that no matter what mountains or valleys we face today is already done. The promise is already complete. And then Paul reminds the people where his joy is. That even if he's to be poured out 
on their behalf, he says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And then he exhorts them, he challenges them. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So in closing, I want to ask you this question. What does your attitude and obedience reveal about the object of your joy? What does your attitude and obedience reveal about the object of your joy? Some of you are listening to this and you've experienced great loss. And you've realized that the object of your joy was a person more than it was Jesus. Some of you have experienced broken marriages and you may have realized trying to place your joy in that relationship has now resulted in joy fading. Some of you are experiencing children who have gone a direction that you didn't want them to go. And if you placed your joy in seeing your kids do what you wanted them to do, uh, that joy is fading. Some of you may have placed your joy in your job and you retired or you've lost your job. And when that is gone, all of a sudden there's an identity crisis and you realize your joy is fading. And maybe it's material wealth that you placed your joy in. And time and time again, you realize that joy fades so quickly. And this is where we come to this main series idea, everyone. And that is that fullness of joy is found in glorifying God. So today, my prayer for you is that you would reflect on the promise given to you in Christ. That whoever believes that Jesus, being God himself, who came to earth in the flesh and gave himself as a payment for sin, for your sin, but he didn't remain dead, but rose again to show that the death that was a result of our sin, the penalty for our sin, could not overcome the power of God in Christ. So that whoever believes in the name of Jesus to be saved will indeed be saved. And that is a joy that no one and nothing can ever take from you. If you have that joy today, the challenge becomes walk in it. Live in it. Because fullness of joy is found in glorifying God the Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and thank you for your word and the hope that you've given us in Jesus. As we go about the rest of this day and the rest of this week, Father, open our eyes to see the opportunities you've given us to live and speak the good news about Jesus. May our joy be so consistent it becomes contagious to the people around us. And ultimately, Lord, in everything we do, you would be the only object of our glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us, everyone.